the four o'clock football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. 4 o'clock hours here. Angel, Cofield, Adam Hill. Here is the D. Bar Canada, we got the hockey game coming up with the Golden Knights and the Wild. Latest number on the board, Knights at minus 118, over or under, five and a half, slight lean on the over. Football frenzy time. Boy, this all ties together, doesn't it? Cowboys get Micah Parsons in the draft, and now they're not going to exercise the fifth-year option on Leighton Vander Esch. Not a giant surprise since Vander Esch has had a lot of trouble staying healthy. Yeah, I, I for sure, it, it makes some sense, but I also... Uh, when he was picked, when Parsons was picked, I was thinking, wow, really good pick. Seems like a position they have like way too many of already on the roster. Uh, but this is what, what we talk about all the time. with when, when you talk about need going into the draft and you say, well, this team needs this or this team needs this. We talked about the Raiders. They need a tackle or they need a safety. You should always be picking the best player available no matter what uh, for this reason. like Just because you have a bunch of guys doesn't mean you're going to have those guys in two years or even one year. There's a lot of roster turnover in the NFL, so when you take the best player available uh, on, a, on your draft board, like you're going to figure out how to use them or how they fit in the roster uh, because like you don't plan on having the same guys on your roster for 15, 20 years. It's going to turn over. And in this case, the, the, they knew they had uh, this decision to make on the horizon. Uh, maybe he's only there one more year, and then Parsons steps in, and maybe he's the leader of that group. Fifth-year options turned down. The tracker. Rashad Penny, Seahawks, just yeah. can't stay healthy. No, he has not been able to stay on the field consistently any season. Hayden Hurst. Well, they just got a tight end. Not a shocker there. No. Kyle Pitts could be good. Do you see the over-under numbers? Remember I was trying to suggest them last week? Over-under yardage numbers on uh, on Kyle Pitts. Catch it. Well, I did it. Did I mention it? Maybe I didn't mention it to you. I mentioned it no. to the other guys. With Candy and... Uh, and with JBT, I was trying to get him to bet on the over. I wanted them to set a high number because, you know, because the hype is like, hey, this guy's like the, the next great thing. He's Darren Waller. Okay, over under 90 catches, 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns. Like, they're not going to go for <laughs> that. Insane. Well, the great one was Candy. Candy wasn't processing the math. And he's, he's, starting to, he's trying to figure out the catches. And he's like, okay, six catches a game. And I was like, all right, 102 catches. 17 games now. And yep. you're not doing the math quick. Like, I, it's one thing I can still do from uh, – <laughs> from school, I can do a little bit of math here and there. But I was like, I don't think he's going to have under two catches. But I saw one of the offshore spots had Kyle Pitts yardage at 775. Yeah, I mean. Aren't they there? I mean, I'm guessing the limits are 10 bucks, But they are going to get slammed on the over. 775? I, no, I don't think they will. Really? Because people I mean, bet, I, I wouldn't. People that bet those are sharp. Like, okay. square bettors don't bet those. Uh, what about in... Okay, in states where gambling is legal, they still don't. They're not. You, there's yeah. no way they're setting. There's no way they're setting the number at seven seventy five. Yeah, because it's all it's all sharp. All you don't those think any casual bettors close to the season will bet it? Of course, one or two, sure. I mean, of course, some people will, but no sharp sharp bettors bet those. Casual bettors don't really bet season long bets 
for the most part, that are actually betting. Like, yeah, they go in and they bet on their favorite team to go over or whatever, and maybe they cash next time they're in Vegas. But they're not having their money tied up for that long. So that is a market that's always very, very sharp, money that's going to be tied up for the whole year. And if you told me that Jones is going to be gone, like they're going to trade Julio after June 1st, then I might think about taking it over in something like that. But it's clear he's still the third option. Like one of the reasons they picked him and one of the reasons that was so hyped is like, imagine not being able to double Julio Jones every single time. Mm-hmm. Like that's why he's so valuable. Uh, and yeah, if Julio Jones is gone, he's going to get a lot more catches, a lot more yards. But for right now, it's like, oh, it takes the pressure off the outside receivers. And that's who they still want to go to. Kyle Pitts, fantasy football draft. Like seventh round? Keeper league? Second round. Okay, not keeper league. What 98% of people do is not in, keeper in league. In a redraft? If I tell you he's good for 45 yards a game. He's still going to get overdrafted. 45 yards a game. I think most people are like, 45 yards, that's it? 45 yards a game. That's what the that's what the 775 total is. 45 yards a game. Well, I think you would you would think he's probably going to be pretty much a pretty solid red zone target. He'll probably get touchdowns. Um, but it, it just the number 775 is actually really high for a rookie tight end. Yeah. It it's a kick in the teeth or a kick in the ass in this case. A reminder that what Waller and Kelsey and Kittle do when Kittle's healthy. What they do is incredible. Oh, it's insane. Don't ever take for granted what these three guys are doing right now. Oh, and it's insane. like, oh, the tight end, it's a new thing. Like, yeah, with those three. Right. And maybe Pitts can be one of them. But we just mentioned Hayden Hurst, I'm sure, was most people expected by now. Hey, you know what? 60 catch, 900 yard, nine touchdown guy. Fifth-year option declined. I thought last year he would. Well, I, and listen, I think – the fifth-year option being declined is because they have pits. Right. Like, I think they would have they would have signed that option if if they didn't. I mean, he's a really good player, uh, and he's an effective player. Uh, but when you get a Kyle Pitts, who's theoretically, in, in most people's mind, a generational type talent, uh, then you can you know he becomes expendable. Hayden Hurst did break through last year because remember he got drafted by Baltimore and then yeah. went to Atlanta. Fifty-six catches, five seventy-one. That was his breakthrough. These guys are incredible. I know, I know it's a broken record, but what Waller and Kittle went healthy and Kelsey do is nuts. Well, especially, especially Kittle, or excuse me, especially Kelsey, um, because Waller is the number one target, no question, uh, with with the Raiders, and Kittle is the number one target, no question, with the 49ers. But then you have you know Kelsey, who's part of a ridiculous offense with guys like Tyreek Hill around him who's not necessarily always the number one option and has to deal with a lot more coverage situations, and it's insane. Now, he also has Pat Mahomes to throw him the ball, which is a game changer. Uh, but, yeah, what he does with so many other targets out there is crazy, and Pitts is going to a team with a ton of other targets, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley for now. Um, so it, he's not going to step in and put up these huge, massive numbers, but he is going to be very effective, and if Julio Jones is gone – that changes the entire narrative. So much of the talk around the uh, NFL draft with the Raiders has been about offensive linemen. We need some experts to come in here. We got a guy coming up, Eric Wood, who played for Adam, uh, not Adams Bills anymore, uh, nine years for the Bills. He was a first-round pick, and we're going to lean on him to talk about these offensive linemen, talk about Leatherwood, and exactly what he looks for in a draft prospect when it comes to the O-line. 
Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. I feel like as far as the skills I bring, I feel like I bring a a great skill set. A great skill set, you know what I mean? I got all the intangibles. Great, great length, great speed, great, great uh, athleticism, all that good stuff. But as far as a position, uh, we haven't talked about it yet. And to be honest, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm just happy and excited to be a Raider. And uh, I'm going to be the best at whatever position I play. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at Bar Canada Inside the D. Hey, Golden Knights, puck drop in about 45 minutes. You hear Alex Leatherwood, first pick in the draft of the Raiders at number 17. Let's break down the offensive line. We need experts in here. I mean, Adam, you were a highly accomplished offensive lineman in high school who got pancaked the wrong way all the time. Sure. But uh, your feet were good, but your hands sucked. I, I don't know and if that and your vision was even worse. I don't think getting run over is highly accomplished, but <laughs> I'll take that narrative. Well, you do have the story of forever, that former UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir. Just flattened me just, in the hole. Just destroyed you. Just flattened me. So you can tell that one forever. Sure. It was your rec specs. You've told the story. That's your excuse? Rec specs. It was like an injury report coming in very late. We didn't know about the rec specs until 12 years later. Well, they used to fog up a lot on the field, and I couldn't always see where I was going, and it wasn't really conducive to playing well. The struggles of the big fellas. Uh, Eric Wood did not struggle. He was highly accomplished in the NFL, and he's the Bills analyst now. He joins us here out in Vegas. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? That was an interesting intro. Yeah. Way to, <laughs> way to build me up at the end. I was going to say, interesting or bad? Um, you know, before we get to any of this, uh, I was just looking at your podcast, and I find it the concept fascinating. Tell people about what's next and what you're trying to do on the podcast. Yeah, so I, I interview really high performers in any industry, but we have a lot of former NFL players, coaches. We've had GMs, NFL owners on, but then people from all walks of life. And, you know, everyone's dealt with transition and change. And three years ago, I was hit with it uh, when I was forced to retire from a neck injury that I didn't know I had. And I signed a contract extension before the season, so – Life kind of hit me in the face, similar to how it's hit a lot of people with COVID and this pandemic over the last year and a half and all the changes that it's brought to so many people's life. Navigating that change in life, you can really learn from people, and um, it's been a lot of fun to do. I want to, before we get into actual football things, I want to ask, this is a very weird question, but it's already been weird, (laughs) so why not? Um, I, I, I used to be a very obsessed Bills fan. I met you one time in New York. You were one of the nicest people I've ever met in terms of, you know, pro athletes and just so cool and so uh, so awesome with your time. Like, how important was that to you to, to represent yourself well, you know, when you were out in the public, when people met you? Because it clearly was something that it was meaningful to me and, you know, my brother was there at the same time, was also to him. But, like, how important was that to you as an athlete to, to leave that kind of impression? Well, I, first off, I truly appreciate those words. And, um, you know, as an athlete, you're given a platform because you play a – game with a ball for a living and i try to always keep that perspective we're we're not out there saving people's lives we aren't protecting our country we're out there for entertainment so when we're in the public um, and you're going to put yourself in the public and i was going to put myself at a bill's backers bar for the draft in new york city uh, assuming that was the time we met then you know i need to treat people cordially and treat them with respect and you know i think in, in life when you treat people right it comes back to serve you in the end but uh, you know, just always taking a humble posture and realizing that, yes, you know, as athletes, you can make a nice living and 
people people look to you in the public eye, but uh, not taking yourself too serious is key. It was actually uh, outside the uh, Radio Row Hotel at the Super Bowl. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, we're going to get into the, into the draft. The Raiders took an offensive lineman in the first round. I, I wanted to get your take on how funny you think it is when it's draft time and you hear just the average fan kind of breaking down an <laughs> offensive lineman like they watch them week to week in every single game. They're like, I don't like this guy. Like, this guy's no good. Like, what do people know? It, it has to make you laugh when you hear that. Well, and the only reason it does is because, you know, I cover uh, mainly the ACC network through ESPN and then I'm the Buffalo Bills radio analyst. And so I watch college football week in and week out. And oftentimes for me, it's tough to evaluate who's going to translate well to the next level. The offenses are so different at times. Now they're getting closer. Um, You're seeing a lot of college schemes make their way into the NFL, but it's just so tough to project who's going to be good at the next level. And so... You know, the Raiders, um, a lot of people say they, they reached for Alex Leatherwood. Well, if, if that's who you like, then that's who you take. And if you know a guy can come in and be a day-one starter at right tackle, a, a right tackle nowadays, that's a, I mean, a big-time right tackle, what do they make, $12, 15000000 million a year? And so if you could lock in a guy on a rookie deal for five years in the first round and you've got your guy that's going to start along the offensive line, you take him. So what, what is the key to, you know, we talk about who's going to translate well to the NFL level. I mean, it is still football, but we, we hear all the time, well, this guy was really good in college, and Leatherwood was, you know, among the best in all of college football in terms of, you know, playing offensive tackle and winning awards and being recognized for his game. But then there's people say, well, his game doesn't necessarily translate well because speed rushers get around him and he has a little trouble with them. What is the key and what is the difference between being great in college and being great in the NFL and making that transition? Man, that's a great question, and and the speed and um, the athleticism of the defensive ends can be can be tough for these guys, and that's often why you see college tackles bump inside to play guard at some point of their career, is because at times you can't ha- handle those edge rushers. But you know, the one thing is, um, like I mentioned, the athleticism of the DNs compared to that in college, and then also, and I'm not saying this uh, in any relation to Leatherwood. The, the, the offenses in the NFL are so much more complicated. The defenses are generally so much more complicated. You need a guy that can think really quick on his toes. And, and that's not always a wonderlick score, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I played against guys that, um, you know, struggled their way through college, some of the brightest minds on a football field. And you just need to be able to think so fast on your feet to understand that if Aaron Donald's over the top of you and he's in a – three technique and they walk a guy up the line to scrimmage on the outside he's probably coming inside of me if not that defensive end is going to loop inside of you and you just have to be able to adapt on the fly that i think some guys their, their process can't quite translate to the nfl how, how scary is that in the moment like if you're like you said you're lined up aaron donald's right over you and another guy's coming you're like oh god like is that terrifying as an offensive lineman <laughs> well well not in the moment as you're watching film throughout the week you're like, oh gosh, I hope this doesn't happen in the moment. If that's if that's your your thought process, then you're you're going to get smoked. You need to you need to be ready to adapt on the fly and, and not be worried about it. But yeah, that's and that's ultimately why we spend so much time in those dang facilities is to prepare for moments like that and to keep repping plays over and over and over so that it becomes second nature. That's the voice of Eric Wood, uh, former offensive lineman in the NFL, uh, does the games for the Bills, you, as you heard, uh, ACC Network as well. Uh, all, the, all over the place and that awesome podcast uh, that we were referencing 
before. Uh, you just said how much, like you talked about how much time is spent in the facility. We're hearing a lot of talk about less and less time in the off season in the facility. Uh, how much will, if we do see changes going forward and players are around less, how much will that impact uh, team teams and how they are, how ta- how long it takes to get ready during the season? Yeah, it could be very beneficial for the veterans on the team that have already uh, been able to be a part of many off seasons, get all those extra reps. Those guys are going to stick around longer. That yeah. may be why you see a lot of player reps vote in favor of <laughs> eliminating the off season. And I say that 90% jokingly, I was a player rep with the yeah. bill. So, um, you know, I, I, like I said, that's a 90% joke. But, you know, I think it's going to be tougher on some of the young guys coming in. And I believe last year they'd let the rookies come to camp a little bit early. I would assume they'd have to keep doing things like that to allow those guys to get up to speed. But, you know, you could see sloppier uh, play early in the season. Each and every year, the less reps you get um, in the offseason. But, you know, that's going to maybe allow guys to play uh, healthier throughout the season. Maybe you get a better brand, a better product throughout the whole year. Eric Woods with us. In the uh, draft, did you think Panay Sewell, did you think uh, Rashawn Slater were head and shoulders above the rest of the group of offensive tackles? You know, it, it's hard to say because Sewell sat out last year and he looked good the year before, but he doesn't play at all last year. And so he's kind of tough um, to judge. Um, Slater played for Kurt Anderson, who was an assistant offensive line coach of mine um, with the Bills. He was his offensive line coach at Northwestern, and he, he vouches for Slater and says um, he's absolutely incredible. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't cover any Big Ten games last year. I'm not going to pretend like I broke down a bunch of Northwestern film, but I, but I do know um, his coaches loved him. But prior to this call, I reached out to a guy named Ben Newman, who is the mindset performance coach. He actually spoke on my podcast, and for Raiders fans, it would be interesting to hear now. But I, I asked Ben about Alex, and he said that he's an absolute animal on the field. He'll be a day one starter and a long time pro. You mentioned coaching. How big is coaching, not only on the collegiate level but also in the NFL? I mean, we assume that like every offensive line coach in the NFL is great. They're you know they're all on the same level. I mean, people rave out about Tom Cable here. How how much of a difference is there from organization to organization between the O line coaching? Oh, uh, there's a big difference. You know, I played for seven head coaches in nine years in Buffalo. I'd argue that has to be a record. I, two of them were <laughs> interims with midseason fires, but seven head coaches in nine years, that's pretty strong. I think it was six <laughs> different offensive coordinators and five different offensive line coaches. So I got to see a good amount of offensive line coaches up close and personable and uh, up close in person. And, you know, they're, they're, they, they vary in strengths and weaknesses like, like people do in every profession. Some are better communicators. Some guys are, are not as technical, but they can band the group together uh, and get everyone to play hard. You know, I, I feel like everyone kind of has their strengths and weaknesses. Um, I know Tom Cable has a very strong reputation for all the guys buying in. They love playing for him. And then he's got the experience and that former um, offense coordinator title to where he's got a pretty strong set to the X and O's. One of my best friends, Richie Incognito, uh, surely enjoyed playing for him last year. No doubt. Uh, let's look around the NFL, and then i got to get to your bills here in a second. Uh, just your general take, what, maybe your knowledge. What do you think of, about what's going on with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? Well, I'll say this. He came to the Kentucky Derby this week, and we didn't bring it up. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't know about that situation other than what I'm seeing on the outside. And it seems like these quarterbacks and just athletes you know, nowadays, not that I'm separating myself so far from this uh, generation of athletes, but it's like – 
people are starting to find their voice. And, you know, in other pro sports where guys have kind of picked and choose where they've gone, it seems like now you're seeing guys like Tom Brady say, hey, I'm going to up and go to Tampa. You had Russell Wilson um, won a trade. You had the deal with Deshaun Watson down in Houston. And now you see with Aaron Rodgers to where these guys are saying, hey, I'll go somewhere else. And if, if I only have so many years left and you're not going to dedicate the win around me, I'll just, I'll just move on. So you slipped one in there about the Derby. So how was you were at the Derby? How was the Derby? Were you actually you were around Aaron Rodgers? Who else were you around? I uh, was not around Aaron. We weren't okay. in the same um, suite or anything. Um, but the the track is. I mean, you're talking even in a COVID year. I, I don't want to give a number and get anyone in trouble, but right. there was a lot of people there. If there's not an uptick in COVID that came from that, then then I'd say the vaccine's working. Right. But um, <laughs> but but uh. No, the Kentucky Derby, if, if, if you've never been to Louisville for the Kentucky Derby, uh, wait a year, give it, let, this, let, let COVID, COVID hopefully run its course in the next year, and you got to come. It's, it's such a unique sporting event because there's no competing teams. Everybody is there to have a good time. Everybody wants to win a little money. All the women are dressed up, and, you know, so they have fun with it, and they enjoy the sporting event as well. And, and so there's no animosity. Everybody's just there partying. And it's a ton of fun, and uh, and then I hit I hit the Superfecta and the Oaks Derby Double and a couple other good ones, so Damn. that makes it a nice weekend as well. So I, I am very intrigued by the outfits at the Derby. I just looked up yours on Instagram. You 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 went for it, but I don't think you went like Aaron Rodgers looked like I said earlier. He was like looking for criminals as part of the you know as uh. prohibition in like the twenties. <laughs> Uh, you went with like a pretty sick jacket, which I'm jealous of because I don't think I could pull that off. Like, how do you decide how far you go with the derby outfit? Man, I, I've never gone like super far with it. I will say, I mean, I was probably at my heaviest in my life, either my second or third year in the league, and I wore a full seersucker suit. Oh. And and I realized quickly, like at 315 pounds, that it doesn't look nearly like it does on some of the other guys. But um, <laughs> You know, I, I keep it within reason, but I don't know. You're kind of inspiring some confidence in me to maybe maybe wow. go a little further out there next year. By the way, uh, you know, we talk to Nick Hardwick every once in a while. He's a former Charger, and he's like Love he's, that dude. he is a fitness lunatic. And he, he came on four months ago, and he was like, yeah, I got below 200 pounds at one point. And then he was like, okay, my, my kid was looking at me like, there's something wrong with you, Dad. Um, so he lost right. a lot of weight, but he's probably like 220 now, uh, all shredded up. You're getting shredded. Well, so what was your heaviest, and what are you at now? My heaviest, I think I was three sixteen. I generally play between three hundred five and three ten, and I, I'm I'm around two fifty. If Nick is like ninety nine percent of the way all in on health and fitness, I try and stay in like an eighty to ninety percent clean eating as opposed to living my life and, and doing my thing. But uh, I've gotten to become pretty close with Nick over the years, and he's such a great dude. I feel like we're we're just fawning over you, but I'm sure you're you're okay with that. But like <laughs> the photo that you post a couple like a last month, I think it was, dude, you're you're jacked though. Like if it's two fifty, it's a jack two fifty. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that. It's getting, it's getting creepy um, in here. It is. What did you do? <laughs> that was actually uh, that before and after. I, I've been doing this like five day prolon fasting mimicking diet. And I thought it was as hokey as anybody else did when I first heard about it. But this guy who I know who's 63 years old and looks younger than anyone else I know does it at least once a year. So me and my wife tried it for the first time a few years ago. We've done it once a year since. 
and I was just trying to help promote that product for them. Damn. Nice job. Uh, let's close on this. We're talking to Eric Wood, the former Bills lineman. So the uh, fifth-year option picked up for Josh Allen. No shocker there. When does the deal get done, and how big is the deal going to be? Man, it's going to be a monster. I, I would say it's probably right around that $40 million a year mark. Um, you know, everyone's projecting that that cap's going to go nuts in a couple years once it rebounds off of this year. And then with the, uh, I guess we'll call it rumored, uh, $100 billion TV deal. So I, I would assume it's got to be in the low 40s just based upon that information. And then, um, you know, I know both parties want to get it done. I don't think this is going to draw the media similar to maybe like a DAC situation did. And so I, I would assume it gets done maybe early next offseason. If the Bills are crushing it this year, and it seems like um, all indications are the salary cap coming back up, maybe Bean pulls the trigger, Brandon Bean, their GM, maybe he pulls the trigger mid-year this year. But I, I'd assume they wait until the offseason, get the revenue numbers, and see what the cap's going to do. Eric, we appreciate it, man. Thank you very much, and uh, good luck. It looks like you're uh, off to a hell of a start in the media. I appreciate that. Thank you guys very much, and truly appreciate you guys plugging the podcast. You guys didn't have to do that. Thank you. We got it. Yeah, it looks like a cool podcast. Eric Wood, he's got his uh, What's Next podcast, and it's it's all devoted to uh, that transition that pro athletes are making. And like you said, he said, there's actually – how many people do you know, Adam, who are trying to make a transition? Might be people in our own industry, but are trying to make a transition because of COVID and what was dealt their way. Like, eh, I got to make a change. We we started doing some different different stuff. Even I think everybody did, and and you know, some people talked about just, well, I'm just going to sit around and just wait it out. And some people decided to kind of attack it and find new ways to, to get their name out there and get work get their work out there. And uh, it was a good opportunity for a lot of people, I guess. Anyone listening right now? You heard it. You heard it. I could see it. The gleam, men. The gleam was in his eye. The Bills gleam. We'll have to address that on the way back. Adam Hill with the was was man crushing there. It's hard, man. It's hard when it's deep in the soul when you're a long time, lifetime Buffalo Bills fan. It's tough. Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. You see a pair of laughing eyes, and suddenly you're sighing. Sighs. Fat Pack time. At this time every day, we get into the uh, world of food and bars and libations and weight loss and being a fat ass and being thin and all that stuff. So, could be any kind of fat. F A T P H A T. Every day at this time. Bar Rescue's back. It is. Man, I saw a promo the other day with Taffer, and uh, hopefully we can get him on soon, but uh, maybe this will keep us from getting him on. Um, there was a picture. Of, it, was a, it was a screenshot of him on TMZ, and I'm like, dude, you're going to – like it was him yelling. I think he just has to pose like yelling all the time. Like his head is just going to split open. He's well, so fired up. A lot of anger. I'm like, I like getting worked up and yelling. But, my God, Taffer. It's his brand, though. Well, supposedly not this season. Uh, not tearing into bar owners now? Yeah, because the new season, the upcoming season of Bar Rescue, which, by the way, all Las Vegas, all Southern Nevada spots. So uh, that'll be interesting for locals to kind of check that out. But uh, supposedly 
this is not about bars that have poor ownership and have run themselves into bad spots. It's about places that are dramatically impacted uh, by uh, COVID and by the pandemic and that have um, really struggled uh, to, you know, to deal with keeping open through uh, really, really hard times in that industry. And so a lot less yelling and a lot more being supportive and being helpful. Now, I'm sure he can't help himself. He's going to scream and yell at somebody. Uh, but this is supposed to be a much more compassionate season uh, of Bar Rescue, which I don't know if you'll like that. Woo. Uh, we'll see. I see one of the locations. Man, that's a lot of debt. I'm not going to ruin it. Not just a particular bar that's 750 grand in the hole. It says that, or you knew that? I don't know that. <laughs> like, You're right. I might know, you know the finances. I'm, I mean, I know I know bar owners and bartenders around town, many of them, because that's what we do. But uh, no, they, I actually found a write-up saying that this particular place is 750 underwater. So seems like a lot. All right. Well, I'm interested. Obviously, it's about our town, so I'll very much want to watch. And I, I know the SO. I know the significant other will be in on it. I'll check it out. Well, you like it anyway, right? I like the show, for sure. I mean, I, the thing I always find frustrating about it is, you know, in most cases, most of the places he's rescuing just go back to the way they were because they're run by horses' asses. Right. Like, the situation that was there, he doesn't fire the owners or the family that works there, and that's generally what it is, and they're the toxic. The, you can make it's lipstick on a pig. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you can the, dress it up as much as you want. The pig's still there. The Because like, it would be a boring show if he went into a, a bar and he was like, Oh, I see the problem. You're terrible at running a bar. You're out. Uh, we're going to bring a new owner in that's good at running right. a bar, and then it's going to be good. Because in most places, he fixes for you know a week, and then they're right back to having the same ownership and the same management, and you know nothing ever changes, and so it's still terrible. Uh, so that's kind of the biggest issue. It's like he can't change the biggest problem with a place, which is who's running it. So there's something you do in your life when it comes to drink and eat that I – have never done. I will never do. You're one of the reasons, but Edward is another one of the reasons. Yes. I think you're mischaracterizing me, though. Now, you're annoying, too, when it comes to these coffee joints. No, I'm not. No, you you and that drive through are infuriating. What are you talking about? I have a standard order that's very simple, and I, know, I but, but, but pre-order you, it on an app. But you still haven't mastered it so that you're not in line. And you get stuck in the no, line. No, no, and then we gotta no, no, story. no, no. We got to hear stories every month. They about. haven't mastered it. Walk inside. Get out of the car and walk in. That, my problem was that you weren't allowed to. That's a good point. It was. That was the whole problem. So are you back now? Soon? Yes. Now, now you can go back in and pick it up again. So I'm good. So you're never going in the lines again. Well, the one Ari, place. Ari, mark this down. Adam will never get in a line again. No, no. The problem is. Does Dutch Bros, you got you to freaking you, pick it up at the window? You have to pick it and up. And then you've you got the to. overly friendly. Yeah, that's their brand, and then you it's know, because as you're waiting in line, you're like, "All right, enough of the so casual I conversation." Much prefer Dutch Bros. Yeah, but you have no option. There's no window to pick it up. There's nothing. There's just the line at the drive-through. We're yeah. gonna carry over the fat pack because <laughs> okay. I don't know what this gibberish hieroglyphic crap is on this viral order from, I guess, Starbies. I can't tell. It is, but something called Edward. I hope this is a joke because the, the nation is exploding because there's, there's millions of you people who love your coffee and your little frothy, creamy drinks. And, like, this made me feel so bad for people in the service industry getting you your stupid tea and coffee at 2.15 in the afternoon. 
Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Company's eye on sports betting with John Von Tobel. All right, we got a carrier over the fat pack. We were just talking about uh, our daily food, drink, restaurant, bar story, and we saw a tweet yesterday from I, someone saying they're a woman, but uh, I don't know who you could be. Who knows? I don't think they said they're a woman. I, I, based on their timeline, I, I think it's definitely a guy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, they took an order from something called Edward. Uh, John, this appears to be a Starbucks cup, uh, and I know you felt the pain. I don't even know what the order is, but it's one of the more convoluted, ridiculous, over-the-top drink orders I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, by the way, yeah, it is a guy because yeah, he actually had a follow-up tweet with uh, a TikTok of himself in his car. So okay. we can confirm. Uh, but I will say yes. This uh, actually, I I might have quit. Like if this would have come through, <laughs> I might have quit. Which because which which. What's incredible about this drink is not the massive amount of items in it, right? The five bananas, the extra caramel drizzle, extra whip, cinnamon dolce topping, all of this stuff. My wife and I were talking about this earlier as we're both former baristas. What was the process of the person who first ordered this? Like, was it like, all right, let me get this. Ah, you know what? One banana wasn't enough. Let me try two. Let me try three. Let me, like, how many times did this person go back and nitpick and ask for more until he was like, you know what? This is it. This is my concoction. I'm getting this every time, and I will bet you, I don't know this, this guy's a regular. Like, he probably comes in all the time, and everybody's like, oh, God, it's Edward. Let's make the drink. Make sure it's perfect, because Edward's a pain in the ass. I hated everything about this. Well, here's, here's multiple. I We could probably, we actually will probably we do this at a different time, John. There's other times to do it. Uh, there is, there's people that, that do these, and it's one thing back when you were working there, and I, I think it was just at the beginning of this, Yep. But, like, they'd have to actually order it. So there'd be some satisfaction on your part that the person would actually have to order this every time when you'd have to type it in and do this obnoxiousness. Now here's the problem. They only have to order it one time on the mobile app, and it's saved. And now they only have to push one button, and then you have to do all this and not have to – they don't actually have to go through this whole process, which really annoys me that they can just order it so easily. Yep, on top of the, and on top of the other drinks, like – Thank God I stopped working at Starbucks before the mobile app started becoming a big thing because I, I don't know what I would have done at that point. And, Adam, I don't know if you saw this, too. There was actually somebody who responded in the feed yeah. with another drink. Oh, dude, like I have another barista. Bianca, Bianca with 12 bananas. Dude, how ridiculous. Is, well, I mean, wait, Bianca, because I saw a Mohammed. No, no I've got Mohammed. Mohammed's, Mohammed's list of <laughs> items, it doesn't even fit on the cup. No. It yeah, wraps right. around the, the like, cup. Again, as a former barista, it says, like, extra whole milk, extra non-fat milk, extra 2%, extra heavy whipping cream. Like, how do you have extra of four different types of milk? Like, what are you supposed to do? And it's a misto. So for those who don't know, a misto is like hot regular coffee and then, you know, steamed milk with it. Like, is that just a concoction? Like, you just want, like, splashes of all those different types of milk in one when we steam it? Like, what do you want, bro? Like, that's, that's the thing that drives me nuts. And here's the other thing, Adam, to your point, to kind of build on that, too. With the mobile deal, if it's not the regular Starbucks, you know that they put this in and then came back like, this isn't what I wanted. Like, well, then, bro, come in. Like, what are we doing at this point right now? I, there's got to be a limit. This is ridiculous. Starbucks has to get involved here. I'm going to take up for the baristas around the world at this point. Okay. Steve accused me of being like this person. I'm going to fight back. I'll tell you my order that I get every day. I get the same order every day. 
It, you tell me if it's completely ridiculous. It's not. Cold brew with co- with almond milk. Pretty easy. Yeah, that's, it. That's, that's fine. Yeah. That's, that's what that? I go with. Because people people were doing the same thing Steve did on Twitter. Like, this is Adam. Like, no, it's not. I guess I go to I go get coffee every day, but it's not obnoxious. It's it's no. one thing. I, I've heard rumors, and he actually responded on one of the feeds that Ed Graney is somewhat like this, dude. I think there was a one point where I'm going to find the tweet right now where a Ed a Graney drink order was like either put on Twitter or sent to me, and I think I responded with I would punch Ed in the face. Not only that, like because <laughs> we we travel a lot, you know, obviously covering the Raiders and covering different things. We're in, in different towns. I refuse. I won't get it anymore. For multiple reasons. One, because the stuff that he likes, you can't even find on the app. So you have to go in and order. You can't order ahead of time, which sucks. And then you get in there, and they they like they stare at you. And I'm like, if, if that's my order, fine. If you want to judge me for my order, fine. Don't judge me for the order I'm getting for somebody else. That, that's not yeah. on me. That's not my I fault. It. I found it. Grande Caramel Crunch Frappuccino blended Java chips with whip and extra drizzle. That's not as bad as I remember. No, there's so more. My, my response to your tweet, because you posted it, Adam, as a former barista, I want to fight Ed Graney. was probably a little extreme. No, it's worse. And, and I will it's say, worse. one day, because that's not his usual. I think he toned it down for Twitter, and he, he got something different. And I'll tell you that, like, one day I went in, and I was explaining to them how to, like, what the order was, what his drink was. And I, I remember the one we were at. It was just outside of Oakland. And the, the barista stops and looks at me and says, why don't you just make this? Why don't you make her come in and order this? And I was like, it's actually not even a girl. <laughs> this is not a girl's order. This is a, this is a grown man's order that he's getting here. It's ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous. So, I mean, and here's the, the last point on this. This has been a topic of conversation with Copeland Company for a very long time. These two people that we're discussing in the tweets that have become famous have to tip. There is absolutely no question about it. You don't leave a penny. You don't leave 25 cents. At the very least, a dollar and 50 cents, or else you're the worst person in existence. I mean, this, this drink is like north of $20, right? I, I would I would think like all the extras like if we're talking like if I remember when I was there it was like fifty cents for like you know an extra syrup so like the first one five bananas extra toppings all that stuff that's got to be getting close to like fifteen twenty bucks. Good, charge them more, charge them even more. It's not enough. John Montobel's with us, our gambling insider on Mondays and a former barista. So uh, Edwards Edwards drink got out on the internet and people went crazy. All right, how bad is this getting, John, for the Lakers from a wagering standpoint, playoff seating standpoint? You got LeBron dinged up. He's not playing tonight. And now, how long is Schroeder down for? So it looks like Schroeder could miss the rest of the regular season. He's in he's in protocol right now. So that's 10 to 14 days, it looks like, for Schroeder. So obviously there's just under, I think, uh, what are we at right now? Just under, I think, 12, 13 days left in the regular season, depending on how many games you have left. So we're talking about Schroeder potentially being done for the rest of the year, at least the regular season. LeBron James tweaks an ankle, so we don't know how long that's going to be. He's not going to play tonight. As you mentioned, like, this could get pretty bad. And remember, like, they're tied with Dallas. They're tied with Portland. All three teams have the exact same record. So we're talking about these teams being 5, 6, 7, 8 right now with Portland odd man out and sitting in the play-in. This is an extremely realistic scenario that not only do the Lakers find themselves in a play-in, but they find themselves in a play-in potentially without LeBron or Dennis Schroeder. And you would think... And if you remember, I was talking to you guys last week, like you would think that Anthony Davis on the floor, like, we're good. Like, we got AD. It's one of the best players in the league. With AD on the floor, they're a below-average team with a negative net rating and one of the worst defensive ratings that you'll see for a lineup out there of about 118, 117. So, like, this is not a shoe-in that by the time we get to the seeds and everything all settled, 
that the Lakers are actually in the bracket defending their title. Like, I, I think this is a fascinating topic. Obviously, injuries have a big part of it, but it's pretty interesting to see that the Lakers could potentially miss the postseason because of everything that's been happening with their team. John, I just saw this pop up on Twitter, and I don't want to forget it, so I want to ask you right now, uh, and you're totally not prepared for this, so that's fine, uh, but I think you might enjoy it. Did you see DK Metcalf is actually running in the uh, the track meet this weekend? No, I did not, yeah, really. Yeah, it's the uh, U.S. Track and Field Championships. I actually just saw uh, a number, 10.21, pop up over under for his 100. Uh, if he runs a 10.05, he would automatically qualify for the Olympics, which would be incredible. But just off the top of your head, do you want to go over under 10.21 for his 100 time? I go over. Really? I mean, I just, I feel, I don't know, like, I feel like, He's an extremely good athlete, but also, like, and this is just spitballing with thinking about the way odds are made and whatnot, like, are we just setting that a little too low because we love D.E. Metcalf, we know how much of an athlete he is, but maybe it's a little watered down, right? Like, I feel like I'd go over on that. I think a lot of people would be like, D.E. Metcalf, let's go under, when in reality, maybe it's a little too low. I mean, it was our favorite highlight of the year, I think, last year. Well, yes, The chase down. He had to be running a faster than 10.2140 on that play. I mean... I'm not a runner, but how much do like cleats help in terms of traction? Like things that then obviously not having the pads changes things too. Like that, I feel like that's a different scenario, right? Like how much different is it running on track with track shoes as opposed to getting help with your cleats when you're running on grass like that? NBC Sports says uh, he got up to 22.64 miles per hour. If he yeah. could do that consistently over 100 meters, which you can't, but if he could do that over 100 meters, his time would be 9.88. Wow. Jeez. I'm I'll go under. I changed my mind. <laughs> no, don't. I'm so intrigued for this. Like, I don't think I've watched a track meet in forever. I'm in. Oh, man, there's a video of it. Oh, he's got a hype video, too. All right, I think I'll be busy. <laughs> uh, John, take us around town real briefly. we got about 90 seconds left. How did the sports books do versus the players on the NFL draft? I mean, if you listen to them talk, I think they're all closed, aren't they? Like, all sports books are shut down <laughs> and everything's over. There's no more sports betting in Nevada. I think they got slaughtered, right? Everything's over. Um, well, I thought it was kind of funny. Like, I was on the draft coverage for VSIN afterwards, and Eric Stevens came in. He called, he used the term a bloodbath, uh, right? Like, uh, Chris Andrews over at the South Point says they lost a little bit of money on the draft. Uh, there were numerous complaints about the draft, and, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, belly aching for bookmakers. But, I mean, congrats. Welcome to our side for once, right? <laughs> they have all of the <laughs> yeah. in the world, and now, you know, one event that they don't like. And, you know, let's be honest at some points, drag their feet on putting stuff up. Like, you know, all right, you took an L, but I think everything's going to be fine. For the most part, as we kind of expected, it was not the greatest result for a lot of us. John, we appreciate it. Thank you. John will be yep. on uh, later this week, and uh, we'll ask you off the air about the podcast tonight. We'll see you. Right. Podcast is getting done. Come hell our water tonight. It's a 1030 podcast. It's smarter than you with uh, JBT and Adam Hill. Five o'clock hour is here. That means Golden Knights hockey is going to roll out here at Bar Canada. We'll get you ready for the game, and we will get into the Lakers situation and LeBron being vocal about the tournament. Oh, looky here. Now that you may be in the playing tournament, now LeBron's like, this thing sucks. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.